This is Shinji Kagawa, and you are listening to the Yellow Wall podcast. The Yellow World Pod. I'm Stefan Butzko, your host for episode 193 it is, and I'm joined by three guys this show, actually four, but uh, yeah, we, we have a bit of a switch up, but more on that later. Um, first of all, in the in the panel, our, I don't know, Borussia Dortmund pundits, if you will, with me here, Lars Poyman. Hey Lars, how are you doing? Hello Stefan, pretty fine as always. And That's good to hear. And Matthias Zug, also here with me. Hello, Matthias. Hello, Stefan. Yes, Matthias. I assume you're feeling really dandy because it's Super Cup weekend ahead and uh, that must make you feel really, really giddy about that very prestigious Der Klassiker match. You know, I, I, I wait for this day with bated breath every year. I just... You know, I don't do anything. It's, you know, it's Super Cup weekend. I kick everybody out of the house so I can properly prepare for it mentally. The good thing for Matthias is next year Dortmund will meet Bayern in preseason in Chicago, I believe. <laughs> yeah, my city of my birth. So even if for some miraculous reason they don't meet in the Super Cup, you will still have that one ginormous match that will decide your mood for another year. Exactly. At probably 102 degree temperatures with 98% humidity, it'll be fantastic football. Well, I'm just there for the halftime show, to be honest. But, uh, you know, <laughs> in the meantime, I have to introduce a guest and I'm glad he joins us. It's uh, Maurice from the very excellent Bayern Munich blog, Mir San Roth. Cheers, guys. Welcome to the show. And uh, you are now being questioned and interrogated about Bayern Munich's preseason. Uh, so why don't you just start by talking a little bit about it? I've I've seen the results; they weren't too good. Then again, Borussia Dortmund's results not really telling so far either; not very positive. So uh, all in all, Bayern Munich, do you see them? Yeah, how do you see them approach the Super Cup? How do you think their preseason went? And uh, yeah, looking ahead to the season, do you have a positive feeling that things will improve over the last season or get worse? Just just looking at the preseason, I hope things will improve because if they don't, we we're pretty much screwed at this point. <laughs> um, yeah, you already talked about it. The preseason results were yeah pretty poor. Um, Just last night, probably a match that maybe even some Borussia Dortmund fans picked up on because it was on German national television when Bayern played against Liverpool and they lost um, by two goals. And it was really a, a stunning defeat. And I, I was sitting in front of my TV and 
almost couldn't believe the style of play that Bayern showed throughout the whole game. Um, I think there is lots of room for Im improvement, but at this point we still we still got to hope that this is preseason and there is another gear that will kick in once we start with the real matches and maybe that first match is the famous Der Klassiker against Dortmund now this coming Saturday. I surely hope so. <laughs> yeah, a true classic since 2013. <laughs> um, so. I've I've seen that there are a couple injury concerns right now on the Bayern roster. Rosa, can you walk us through them? Yeah. So um, the the Asia tour, which was as our chairman Karl-Heinz Rummenigge said, was a huge success. Um, which I don't really share this opinion, but we had um, Juan Bernard coming home injured, and that is pretty sad because he was. Like, if I had to pick one Bayern player who was actually in form for the preseason, it was Juan Bernard, who showed that he could be a real backup or even a challenger for David Alaba in the coming season. And sadly, he got injured and he will be out for several months, probably probably till November. So th that is bad news. Also, we had several players pick up uh, um, some kind of smaller injuries. Um, Thiago came back from, from China with some kind of bruise and Ribéry as well. Now Ribéry's back in form and Thiago was was all right yesterday as well. But after just 80 minutes, he had to be subbed off with what seems to be a, a calf strain or something like this. And um, so he will definitely miss uh, this um, Super Cup matchup with, with Dortmund. And... Sadly, our newest acquisition, James Rodriguez, also picked up an injury yesterday. Um, seems to be something with his muscles in his leg. Um, and he will be out for several weeks. Uh, I think I just looked in our team chat at Mirsan Rode and somebody wrote that the, the average um, resting time for this kind of injury seems to be like 66 days. So that would also mean that he will not be able to participate in the in the start of the season, which would be a real shame because, of course, um, we picked up James Rodriguez uh, uh, in the hope that he could contribute right, right away and help to f fill the void that is left by Ayn Robben, who's also injured right now. Um, now, there seems to be a little little hope that uh, Ayan Robben and Jerome Boateng, who are already back to practice with the team, that they both can be healthy for for the start of the season. And there's even a little bit of um, hope that they might also be at least on the bench in Saturday's clash. So that is the injury report. Several players out. Um, is, Mario, uh, is Manuel Neuer available? Yeah, so Manuel Neuer, there's very little information coming out about uh, about Manuel Neuer. Um, he is still injured. Um, he won't be available for Saturday. He's not back with the team yet. So, and as far as I know, there haven't been any news about him even like starting to walk again in practice and doing some kind of of jogs or stuff like that. So, I. I almost feel that he'll be out for the first games of the season as well, which would, of course, be a, be a huge blow. Yeah, obviously. Uh, before I, I carry on, Lars Matthias, do you have any questions for Maurice? 
Way to blindside us, Stefan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let me check my copious notes. Um, <laughs> well, my all of my preparation for this podcast was walking the dog. So, <laughs> well, I mean, I guess I guess the question I have is, uh, what are from a from a Bayon fans perspective the I guess expectations or hopes at least for James in the squad to add something to it that it may have been lacking last season? Mm. Um, so I, I got to be upfront. It, when James Rodriguez was announced, I was I was really psyched. I, I think James is a name that that is probably one of the biggest transfers to the Bundesliga since ever, um, just because of his name. Um, of course, the last few seasons um, since Ancelotti left at Real, he, he wasn't he wasn't at the top of his game, but but still, when he was in the squad, he still contributed. Um, and so, my hopes for him are, are actually pretty big. Um, he can he can be a versatile uh, offensive player, which is which is a good thing. Um, I think he can he can play on the on the wing as well as uh, hit the center. Um, and what I especially hope is that he brings some kind of creativity, some kind of spark to this to this Bayern offense that it has lacked in some of the games last season and most of the games this preseason. And I think um, if you look at um, Ribéry and Robin being 32, 33 years old respectively, and I think I think and and also with the injury record that that, that they both share. Um, there is there is some some space for him to to have his minutes and to to really make a contribution and show that he can be a part of that of that first eleven. Um, I also think it's it will be interesting to see him together with uh, Thomas Müller. At the beginning, most people were pretty doubtful um, to to have them on the field at the same time, but I actually think. This could really work out, and we we saw this work out in the in the Telecom Cup, which was like the 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 one good day that Bayern had all preseason long, like when they beat uh, Hoffenheim and and Werder Bremen in two two games on the same day, and in the second game you had um, Müller and James playing together, and they they are kind of similar in that they occupy the same spaces on the field and. Just by by doing so, they can, I think, they can expose um, the opponent's defense really good. If they if they overload to one side, you have two rather good players on one side of the pitch, and that might be uh, too much for for most defenses to handle. If you win, or when you talk about Bayern Munich, you pretty much always have two good players on one side. If you overload one side, because the squad is just. So good. However, um, I think the big question marks going into the season is how Bayern will actually deal with the absences of Philipp Lahm and uh, Xabi Alonso. Um, you brought in Tolisso, you brought in Sebastian Rudi for a right back, uh, Niklas Süle also a central defender. Um, so how optimistic are you that this will happen seamlessly? Um, so let's let's start with, with central midfield first. Um, I think... Once uh, Xavi Alonso left, we we um, obviously have 
have a lack of this deep lying playmaker. This is kind of quarterback that always tends to drop back, and so that this that this back four actually becomes like a back three in build up with the with the um, wing backs pushing up high the pitch. Um, I think this is not the the kind of playing style that both Thiago and Vidal have. So it was necessary to bring in another guy like Tolisso. Um, but still, I think that the the orientation and the positioning of that Bayern midfield will, will change a little bit just because um, Tolisso, um, he, of course, the, the, guy is, the guy is not as old. He, he doesn't have the experience of Xabi Alonso winning the Champions League uh, several times and having... I don't know, probably about 100 Champions League matches. Um, uh, so, so he will need a lot more support from from Thiago, from Vidal, maybe from Thomas Müller. depends on depends on what what um, what team Ancelotti actually lines up on match day. But I think so, like replacing Xabi Alonso actually with another player, like straight up will be a tough task um, but I think you have to hope that the system will will catch up and will um, together with Thiago and and Vidal will be good enough to to cope with with the departure of, of Xabi Alonso on on the right back position with um, Philip Lam I'm a little bit more concerned um, um, in, we have Jojo Kimmich for this role. He played this role, I think, pretty good in several um, matches for the national team. He was the starting right back for Germany throughout the Confed Cup, which they obviously won. Um, we also have Rafinha, who is who's voicing that he wants more playing time at right back, that he wants to present himself ahead of the 2018 World Cup. Um, and... Also, we have, like you said, Sebastian Rudi, who I'm not sure where exactly he he will he will end up. Like, if he will have more playing time at central midfield or as a right back. But but it's a tough task to to replace Philipp Lahm as as he, he's obviously been for so long the not only the best right back but also maybe the most. Um, Skilled, skilled player on 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 Bayern, or, or at least the the player with the most tactical knowledge as well. Uh, he had just such a good feel for the game, and you can't expect uh, Joshua Kimmich in his third season for Bayern to to have that to have that same impact on the game. But I think we there will be times where where Joshua Kimmich won't look look as good. There will be times where. Maybe we'll play Rafinha, and just like yesterday, he will be he will be asinine, and that that will really look 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 horrible what he's doing out there. But I think this is the season which is we we just have to trust in in Kimmich and give him the playing time, and he he can only learn from he can only learn from from his mistakes if if he makes them. I certainly hope he doesn't, but. Um, I think I think Kimmich is is in a good place to to be a solid right back, but of course there will be a drop off from from someone like Philip Lahm.
yeah, what other qu- answer than Joshua Kimmich I could have expected asking a guy from Yesanrod. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, Bayern, I haven't counted, but uh, I've heard Bayern have conceded quite the amount of goals during their preseason. All right, yeah, yeah, quite a lot. <laughs> Carletto has talked about a lack of balance. That's uh, yeah. They are too susceptible to counterattacks right now. Do you think that's just an issue of the preseason tired legs and whatnot, or do you think that's a theme? I mean, Bayern, of course, will always be susceptible to counterattacks because they push so high up the field, but uh, they were also very damn good in uh, preventing them. So, do you think this might be a theme throughout the season, or do you just think that's a preseason issue? Um, that is why it is so hard to judge those preseason games because you obviously don't know at what point of their of their preseason routine of their training camp both of the teams on the pitch are. Um, if I had if I just look at what Bayern played, for example, yesterday also in China, I'm I'm I'm, I'm shocked. I, I got to tell you, I mean, we conceded 14 goals in six matches. We only scored four goals in six matches. So there. The balance was completely off. Um, we 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 were very vulnerable to to counterattacks. We had ve- very 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 easy easy mistakes in the build-up play. Um, uh, I think of Mats Hummels just passing the ball right into the foot of an AC Milan um, at- um, attacker. Um, I think of yesterday Tolisso losing a ball with just uh, Hummels and Martinez behind him. Um, so yeah, if, if you look at the preseason, the counterattacks um, they they really killed us. I mean, of of the three goals against Liverpool, uh, um, two were conceded that way. I think there were probably like three more or even four more chances for Liverpool where they could have scored off a counterattack. Same against AC Milan. Um, so. What needs to improve? I think definitely the positioning needs to improve. We need to we need to um, make some big steps there. I think a possible solution would be to go back into Guardiola schemes, where he o- often had um, either one of the wingbacks push up high the pitch, and then the other wingback like fall back with the uh, with the two remaining center backs and form like some kind of um, back three. So that could be a possible solution. Or maybe even the, the central midfielder um, falling back, so that you at least have three players now that that are behind the ball. This could be this could be a, at least some some kind of help. Um, another another big problem that I saw yesterday was just the the lack of sp- spirit, the lack of effort that that the team showed. Um, they they had a really hard time getting into any kind of in, into any kind of, of tacklings. Um, they always seem to be one step slow, which I hope is uh, n- not because they didn't want to or because they didn't want to go the extra mile, but because they are not at the top of their game. So uh, so I hope that... Yeah, that just might be the strain. I mean, Bayern usually, they, they can't be fault, faulted for giving two less efforts in most games, at least the last three or four years. I hope so. Anywho, one, one, one question on the, on the positional play, and I think uh, you already alluded to Pep Guardiola, and I would say that Pep Guardiola's positional play at Bayern Munich was excellent, and I, I'm not too sure about uh, Carlo Ancelotti in, in that department, so do you think that uh, the uh, 
position and play that was so sharp during the Guardiola era will uh, slowly fade and will even show more in the second year under Ancelotti? I'm, I'm afraid. I'm afraid it will. Um, I think we already saw traces of that um, in the last season. Uh, of course, with with Guardiola, you had this you had this positioning all over the pitch with um, triangles forming. Um, I think there was. There was this one game in in Guardiola's day at Bayern against uh, against Roma in in Rome uh, where we won five one and it 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 was probably like the the perfect game that that I saw from Bayern during that that spell and at at every time throughout the game there was there was one or two, every player had like at least two three players open to pass the ball to and if I compare that to Ancelotti. Of course, I compare it to the preseason game, which which is which is unfair, obviously. But um, nobody seemed to be moving right into into the space they should be. And if if you look at some of the the, the positional graphics from um, eleven taking eleven on on Twitter, um, you could see last season that that at, at sometimes two players occupy exactly the same space, which uh, under under. Under Guardiola would would be like unthinkable. Uh, so, I think it has already begun, and probably because Angelotti doesn't doesn't care too much about this perfect positioning, um, I'm afraid it it will uh, fade away throughout the next years. Especially because a, a lot of the players now are more like free roamers and. Uh, when 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 Angelotti came, there was a lot of talk about like now they are all free, now they can all do the what they want, unleashed. do what they can best. Yeah, <laughs> unleash them, unleash them, and um, like we see now, maybe that wasn't the best idea. Maybe some players, especially the young players, needed that needed that system to to support them. All right, um, I see things are going south in Munich. <laughs> so um, yeah, with with that you. Uh, can have a go at predicting the Super Cup now, and then I'll uh, yeah let you out of the hot seat. Maurice, thanks a lot for joining. What's your prediction? Yeah, um, so so like I said um, in uh, in the pre-discussion we had we had prior to this pod, um, I, I don't like the I don't like the look of the gay, of the team that we will be able to line up next Saturday. Um, I think a lot of key players. Will be missing. The team seems to be completely out of out of shape, out of form, out of rhythm. But as I've seen, at or I have to say, I didn't watch any of the Dortmund games so far this preseason. But didn't miss uh, much. Yeah, I saw the results and they were not good as well. So um, I hope there's at least a. I, I hope there is a little chance because of that, and also because, of course, uh, Dortmund um, having to deal with a new coach who wants to uh, implement a new new system at, at Dortmund. So, yeah, I'll just say somehow we win this one two to one. But as you can hear, I'm not not really confident about this one. Uh, yeah, but but like I said earlier. We will still win the Bundesliga, so <laughs> don't, don't get your hopes up. <laughs> All right, yeah, it might as well just be the mediocre cup going uh, by. 
by the prediction here. Um, Maurice, where can people find you on Twitter and read your written stuff on the internet? Yeah, so uh, my Twitter handle is at thunder24mh and you can read my stuff at mirsanroad.de for the German readers and for the English readers at mirsanroad.com. Um, I hope you'll check my stuff out. <laughs> and thanks for having me, by the way. I had a blast. Sure thing. Uh, we'll, we'll see about that after the game then. Um, that's all from Maurice and our uh, here little Bayern Munich season preview, I guess. <laughs> we'll be back uh, with Terry DeFellin joining us in part two. There we are again for part two, and now the focus will be very much more on the black and yellow rather than the red and white. So for that, joins us now from the Banshee says, so I will introduce him as the super sub now, Terry DeFellin. Hello, Terry. How are you doing? I'm very well, thank you, Stefan. How are you? I'm very well myself. It's, it's glad to have you back on the show for people who... Uh, I don't know, Terry is basically the uh, silent mastermind behind the yellow wall. He is funding us all. <laughs> so Yeah, it's it's costing me an absolute fortune. It, it, yeah. I, the Godfather. Bleeding me dry. Are the other guys getting paid or am I missing something? <laughs> we'll talk about that later. Yes. <laughs> yes. Silence. Um all right. So um <laughs> Yeah, before someone here uh, just uh, has a lawsuit because of a non-disclosure agreement. Uh, we'll just move on. Matthias, you have a little disclaimer to make, don't you? Uh, yeah. Uh, so when we started recording part one, there was a cloud in the sky. And I live up in the mountains, for those of you who don't know, in Colorado. And we are now in the middle of a hellacious thunderstorm. So we actually had a, a longer break between part one and part two because... Uh, lightning struck and my internet was gone for two minutes so in case i'm gone it's not because stefan once again annoyed me but <laughs> more has to do with the fact that uh, the internet is gone and so my voice will... <laughs> for once for once yeah <laughs> <laughs> all right yeah uh you, you already talked about snow and hail um which brings me right to peter bosch terry can we already after this preseason hail peter bosch Hail, Peter Bosch. Seamless, uh, seamless that, transitions. That's, yeah, yeah, that's blown me away. That 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 segue. You've definitely improved your segue since the last time I was I was here, Stefan. They're not improving uh, by talking about them, though. <laughs> I am. Um, I, I I am a bit of a traditionalist uh, when it comes to preseason friendlies. Um, I, I still am of the view that they are, although they are increasingly becoming more important to. Uh, the club in terms of finance and and prestige and branding and 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 you know uh, overseas strategizing and whatnot. Uh, they're very little that you can glean, I think, from them um, in terms of their results and performances. I think you can get a good idea about shape and about how a team's going to set itself up over the course of a season or at least start in the course of the season. But you know, I I I don't really think, even though the preseason 
um, matches have been disappointing. Um, you know, I, I don't think we can get too uh, excited or indeed dispirited by them. Um, I, I, sh I will, however, say that I've only watched um, the uh, six-minute highlights from these games on B4B Total. So uh, I, I, I'm not um, approaching this from an analyst point of view. So it's just a general impression that I'm, I'm, I'm giving you. All right. I guess back to the sidelines with you. If you only watch the, <laughs> if you only watch the highlights, um, I, I mean you haven't really missed much. To be fair, um, Lars, uh, general view of of the friendlies. Uh, were there any emerging patterns you could already observe uh, of how Borussia Dortmund will possibly look like going forward into the new season? Well, yeah, they did. Those patterns did emerge, but we pretty much knew what Peter Bosch's footballing philosophy was before they first kicked off the first game uh, against Rot-Weiss Essen, which they promptly lost two to three. Um, we knew that Bosch is one of those typical Dutch coaches preferring a four-three-three alignment. Uh, you know, the football total fanatic. Uh, follower of Johan Cruyff and all those things and whatever that entails. So we knew they would be playing a 4-3-3 and relatively fixed on that system as opposed to uh, Thomas Tuchel's constant tinkering with formations, alignments and, and even smaller tactical things. So um, I, that that has been pretty much confirmed throughout preseason. They've only played with a back three, I think, twice after all the substitutions came about, uh, which in my opinion, has more to do with the fact that they have so many centre-backs available at the moment and not that uh, Bosch wants the, the team to have that in the back of their mind for whenever they need it. Um, and, and certainly going forward in on the attack, they've pretty much always played with one central striker, be that Aubameyang or Alexander Isak and two forward-minded wingers. And then, you know, the rest came in midfield where I think they are struggling a bit with numbers, uh, with Weigel obviously being out. Uh, Nuri Shahin has had to play a lot as the lone defensive midfielder, uh, especially until uh, Mahmoud Dahoud came uh, to the team. Uh, Dahoud has only played, uh, I think, two games with the team now and started his first game uh, against Atalanta Bergamo on Tuesday. So... It's not like he's been able to really leave a, a, a strong imprint on anything. So it really seems like Nuri Shine is the, the, the one guy who can, or who has to hold down the fort until Julian Weigel returns sometime in September, hopefully. So, uh, speaking about that position, I think. Uh, Shahin is not the perfect solution for what Bosch likes to do because uh, his pressing intensity is very high and Shahin lacks the mobility and athleticism is at this point of his career to back that up defensively. So uh, opposing teams have found it relatively easy to bypass Dortmund's lone defensive midfielder uh, in many occasions. And then it's a defensive one-on-one -on -one with uh, the two centre-backs most often in the A-team, if you like, Socrates and Bartra. And I think Socrates is okay in in, in those one-on-ones, but Bartra, it's not really his strong suit, I think. So overall, I think, especially at the start of the season, teams will try to 
play long ball after long ball uh, towards their striker and have them run towards Dortmund center backs. And I'm very curious to see how uh, Dortmund, whose last line defending has been a constant issue over the last two or three years, uh, will look then. But I guess uh, the, the, the one thing that I want to add is that we all knew this was going to happen. Uh, Peter Bosch has always taken some time to uh, get his players accustomed to the t uh, kind of uh, play he wants. So it's not like anybody can say he was blindsided by these developments. We all, I think everybody who, uh, who looked at Peter Bosch's um, work so far knew that there was going to be a period where results and uh, also performances would probably suffer a bit. So I guess the the question now is how quickly can they turn things around uh, with the games being more important than the Super Cup and the first round of the Cup against a sixth division team? Yeah, exactly. That's uh, the, the big question here. Um, you know, for what it's worth, I, I think that uh, we haven't really seen the the strongest in, in quotation marks side that uh, yeah Dortmund could field so far. So I I think Dortmund still have yeah some some uh, room for improvement left uh, in the individual department. Uh, I think the uh, lineup against Espanyol was already pretty strong, but I would for example pick Christian Pulisic ahead of Andre Schüller for now. Um, so I, I think Dortmund uh, will be fine in the sense that uh, the individual skill will probably save their bacon a, a couple of times. We, I think we, we saw that quite well in the test match against Bochum where uh, yeah, Bosch started a weaker side and uh, yeah, for the final 20 minutes when Dortmund were trailing by two, I think uh, yeah, they equalized still um, with Dembele and Aubameyang then running the show more or less. So I, I think that's that's uh, what should people make somewhat more optimistic about results going forward when uh, yeah actual three points are on the line or uh, the next cup round that Dortmund yeah just have that individual quality uh, to yeah just throw it in in the ring and that obviously is a big way considering how much individual class is in there. Um, however, there are a couple of concerns right now. Um, not for long, but uh, they are there right now, and so that is the injury of Marcel Schmelzer. Um, Terry Peter Bosch is a coach who, uh, yeah, puts a lot of uh, priority on the uh, fullbacks in in his systems, uh, especially in the build-up phase, and we have seen Dortmund struggle with that. Uh, right now, who do you see replacing Schmelzer for those couple of games against Wolfsburg, for example, Bayern Munich, and and whatnot? Well, I mean, there's obviously um, crowd favourite Eric Dorm and uh, the new guy, I suppose, Zagadou. Um, I don't know whether or not he has a, a great deal of experience in that position, uh, but it doesn't look like he's got much experience to cover um, going on there. Um, Schmelzer having been, you know, obviously being the captain and being ever present. So, I mean, it is a, a huge difficulty for him, um, not just in terms of the shape and the tactics but also the um the uh the you know the presence in the dressing room and, and on the field of play as well Schmelzer's um but as one of the reasons why he's such a good player is also his ability to to come inside and you know he doesn't he's not like a 
like uh, what we would have over here, a traditional sort of like wing back where he's always pinging in crosses. He does a lot of work coming inside. And, uh, you know, I, 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 I think, I think the short answer to that is that he's, he's probably not replaceable, you know, really. But, uh, but I guess that that would be a sort of stopgap for uh, while he's uh, injured. Yeah, I, I, I'm afraid that is the answer right now. I feel like uh, Eric Doom has the first touch of uh, trampoline still. Uh, hasn't really improved much and he had some uh, calamitous passes in his preseason matches where you wouldn't gain a lot of confidence that uh, yeah he is a is a good replacement going forward. The question is, uh, is Zagadou a better or a worse one? Lars, what do you think? Well, for starters, Eric Dom isn't even available at the moment because once again in preseason, like the last two years running, I think uh, he's suffering from some sort of problem. I think it's probably his knees because they are chronic uh, issues for him at this point. Uh, so the so question for two seasons not running. Wow! 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 Um, I think. Uh, with Dorm, I mean, for the Super Cup, he's certainly out, I think, because he's not been uh, in training recently. So you have then the the opportunity of a lifetime to play uh, a six foot, whatever it is, six foot four, six foot five, Don Axel Zagadou there against, uh, I'm assuming, someone like Kingsley Kuman, who will run rings around him. Or uh, an 18-year-old in Jan Niklas Besse, who was with the team in the training camp, I presume because of the left-back situation and who did okay-ish against uh, Atalanta in Tuesday's friendly. Um, I think those are the only two viable options, seeing as uh, Bosch has not tried to play there uh, to play, you know, a centre-back out of position like. I think, for example, Thomas Tuchel would probably have tried to put Batra or Socrates there just to see how it works. But uh, Bosch is steadfast in not trying players out in positions they are not accustomed to out, outside of Zagadou. He's probably been the, the lone exception. And I, I think it's going to be a, a big issue, especially, I mean, nobody cares about the Super Cup. And as I said, the first round of the Cup is against a sixth division side. So I guess they could field their under 23 team and be all right there. So, uh, but once you come, uh, to the Wolfsburg game on the first match day of the Bundesliga season, and then I think it's Hertha at home, uh, on match day two. Those are difficult games for, uh, a Dortmund side without a natural left back and certainly, uh, putting Zagadou there, who's largely done relatively okay uh, going forward, but just from his physical uh, makeup and, you know, the lack of experience, as uh, Terry alluded to, I think he'd be uh, a liability there. So um, they, they are certainly in the deep stuff in, at the left-back position. Um, and, and also because I think Felix Paslak has probably been the most disappointing player in preseason uh going through all the positions i think last year or with the performances he had in last year's preseason i mean remember the the way he pestered ribery into punching him basically in the super cup last year he was pretty good pasak was um with those performances he'd probably be the number one option at the left side right now but uh, he's playing so underwhelmingly on the right side that i don't think that's going to be uh, the choice of bosch so I think they just uh, stick Zagadou or Beste there in the Super Cup and the and the Cup match and then hope uh, 
or pray rather that that Schmelzer will be available for Wolfsburg or Hertha in the in Bundesliga. Yeah, I have to I have to agree with you, Lars, because um, Zagadou has uh, received a lot of praise. I mean, given that he basically arrived with zero expectations, he's 18. He came from PSG's youth odds, uh, youth setup, so you know there's not much much to be expected. And I think he has impressed people a lot with uh, how calm he is on the ball already. He certainly has impressed me in that regard, but. Uh, As you said, if you look at his defensive contributions, there's a very big question mark right now. Um, yeah, his physical appearance doesn't really uh, allow him to be as fast as any pacey winger. And yeah, his positioning in, in the defensive uh, end doesn't really help him that he doesn't have the experience to do, quote unquote, as we said in German, do it with the eye, that you just have a good positioning to uh, yeah kill off situations before they... Uh, Yeah, arrive. So, yeah, I'm not really, I'm not really sure. But then again, Niklas Beste, yeah, he is, he is also very young, very inexperienced. So, yeah, I don't know. To me, it's a coin toss right now. I assume we'll see Zagadou, but uh, Peter Bosch really needs to think now already. I guess how he will, uh, yeah, fix that problem by, uh, yeah, basically ordering other players to help out on that position so there must be a little bit more backing and I hope we see an idea for that at least already in the Super Cup because uh, otherwise it's going to be pretty ugly especially if Wolfsburg are still as wing heavy as they've been in recent years then uh, it, it won't be nice for Dortmund but I guess we will talk about that game again uh, in two weeks to, to preview it um, I don't, I don't know how many more takeaways are there to be had from the preseason. Um, I have one. Mario Götze looks really good. I mean, it's uh, not something we need to discuss, but just the, the fact that he looks fairly uh, in, in decent shape, I would say. Not in, in, in his best uh, form yet, but uh, that's to be expected after five months out of football. But he oozes... Uh, joy just being back on the football pitch and, and having overcome his issues. I think, uh, he's, especially in the, in the last, uh, few friendlies, he's almost been the only player who looked up for, uh, having some fun on the pitch, uh, as opposed to others who definitely showed their fatigue after training camp and a lot of miles in their legs. So, uh, I think going forward, I, I'm, I'm not, saying that we should expect much uh, from Götze right away and I, I'd say if uh, the Bundesliga started on Saturday he'd probably not be in the team uh, in the first 11 but uh, with this being the Super Cup a glorified friendly I'm, I'm fairly certain he's going to get some minutes at least and uh, compared to you know three four five months ago that's a huge step in the right direction so uh, if any positives can be taken away from a rather bumpy Preseason in general, then Mario Götze probably tops the list. Maybe they'll play him as a left back in the Super Cup. <laughs> um, I, I agree uh, that uh, he played 60 minutes in the last one, didn't he? So um, uh, he looks svelte. And uh, in the brief highlights that I saw, um, yeah, they did highlight some some good touches for him. And so it's it's it is uh, reassuring to see him back. I, I mean, I agree that. Uh, 
that he's unlikely to to feature too heavily. And I think that's wise because of of such a long road back from from his illness. But uh, yeah, that is a that's a a, a real positive from that uh, preseason. Yeah, I think it's it's also good news for Dortmund that I I think that Peter Bosch and his staff have a very good feeling on uh, how to nurse a player back into fitness. Uh, Bosch has uh, time and time again said that uh, after being five months out or so, you just need some time to, to come back. And so uh, yeah, he already made very clear that he has no intention to rush Mario Götze back on the field, but will award him his time. And uh, I think the positive news overall for Götze is that uh, with uh, the 4-3-3 setup, if it will be um, uh, applied, that there is certainly a good opening for him somewhere on the eight positions. So um, that's somewhere where Götze yeah, is, is comfortable and I think can help Dortmund out very much, especially with his intelligence and his pressing. So going forward, uh, yeah, I very much... Uh, like the idea that uh, he will be a regular starter again for Dortmund. Of course, we will see how, how things pan out. But, uh, you know, as things are looking positive right now, why why not, you know, have a positive outlook for now? Um, another player who I think might have uh, yeah won some brownie points is Sebastian Rode, um, especially with this very intense pressing. <laughs> I know some people will now slack me off for saying that. However, Lars, uh, how do you think his standing has uh, changed now under Bosch, if at all? Well, first of all, it has ch uh, changed by default because it's a new coach uh, with a different philosophy. Uh, and, um, you know, in some ways, I do agree that uh, Rode has been doing well in terms of the ball winning, but uh, his problem is still knowing what to do once the ball has been won. And he still doesn't uh, have the most ingenuity on the ball, let's put it that way. He doesn't really try to thread the needle going forward. He still turns around and passes the ball backwards way too often. And certainly once uh, someone like Dahoud is fully up to speed, once Götze can be trusted to... Uh, play a lot of minutes. I think uh, Rode is going to suffer largely the same fate as last year. There are, uh, many people seem to forget that Rode was mostly one of the first alternatives off the bench when he was healthy under Tuchel, and and that might still be the case. I guess uh, for all we've slacked uh, Rode off uh, last year, I think he does have some well uh, valuable uh, qualities, especially off the bench if you need some energy. You know, nursing a two-one lead uh, against a, a team with a lot of athleticism in, in in the middle of the park, you can do much worse than throwing Rodo on and, and tell him to just get the ball and and not worry too much about what to do uh, with it once he once he uh, retrieves it. But generally, I don't really see uh, you know Rodo suddenly becoming an integral part of the first eleven. I mean, it it. A lot would have to happen, uh, in my opinion, for the midfield three not to consist of Weigel, Dahoud, and one of Kagawa and Götze for most important games, at least, of the coming season. And then not only do you still have Rode, but you also have Castro, for example, so and Chahin, of course. So I think he's still going to find it relatively tough to find regular playing time. 
Yeah, but you're right if it's like the 75th minute and uh, yeah, you were trying to squeeze out a very narrow lead, then Rode uh, is, is your guy. Because I, I think if he if he wins the ball and the position is a little bit tired and uh, they don't immediately close him down, meaning he's not immediately under pressure and he actually gets some space, I, I think he can actually... Uh, yeah, bring a bit of a momentum change. I think we we saw that in a yeah on two or three occasions uh, last year or in the last season rather, where he uh, basically just yeah brought a momentum change for Dortmund and brought the game back to the opposition rather than uh, Dortmund trying to fend off uh, the onslaught of of their opponents. So uh, that's certainly a positive. But as you just said, Lars, I also don't see him grabbing major playing time. But I I think you know. He looks an available asset at times for for Bosch, and I just wanted to put that out there for now. Um, Terry, there's still a yeah a big monkey on Andre Schulle's back. Of course, he has uh, given an interview to Westdeutsche Allgemeine Zeitung uh, last week, where he has talked a lot about self criticism and uh, self doubts, and uh, yeah, basically not fully having arrived in in Dortmund uh, yet although he says he feels very comfortable in the town and in the team and whatnot but he says uh, the, the sporting success is lacking Peter Bosch has said that uh, he wants to give Schule a lot of responsibility at least according to Schule so what do we expect of that 30 million uh, euro signing which uh, is a number that still hovers over his head I was a, a little bit surprised that he didn't find his footing quicker um, or really at all, I suppose, last season, given the experience that he has and the pedigree that he has as a player. Um, you would have, I mean, you'd have, it's not like he's travelled terribly far. It's not a massive upheaval for him. Um, and um, I appreciate that it might be somewhat different in approach to the way Thomas Tuchel played uh, at Dortmund. Um and I think it's significant that certainly to my recollection, um, you guys might recollect differently, but I think, you know, some of his more memorable uh, matches were down the middle uh, when Obama Young wasn't playing. Um, and um, I wonder whether or not maybe he's kind of or was kind of caught between two stools there. Uh, he certainly, I mean, if you take or even if you take away the price tag, with his pedigree, you you would expect him to take on that senior role. He's played a lot of games, and he's won a lot won a lot of games in the past. He's he's travelled a lot. He, you know, he's a, he's a senior pro, and you'd expect more from him. Um, but uh, you know, Dortmund had a funny season last season, although it was it was ultimately successful. There was an awful lot of 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 stuff going on that maybe you know he just had trouble sort of like imposing himself in the dressing room and on the pitch. So perhaps under Peter Bosch, we'll, we'll see a, a little bit more consistency from him. Yeah, I guess it also very much depends on whether he actually will grab playing time because we mustn't forget that there is a lot of competition on, on that position, especially um, Lars... What what are your first thoughts on the on the new signing so far? Um, Umar Toprak certainly, yeah, leaving a good impression. I don't know how many things you can already say about Maximilian Philipp. Yeah, I would say that Toprak has been, in my opinion, the best of the centre back so far. Which doesn't mean I expect him to 
start the important games right away because I think uh, Socrates and Batra have uh, a partnership working relatively well and overanalyzing friendlies is always a dangerous game but uh, you know when when looking at how the pairings have worked uh, I think uh, Bosch is prepared to start Socrates and Batra next to each other at least at the start of the season but again I think Topak has been as advertised uh, for people who didn't only watch him last season after Dortmund's interest in him uh, became known because last year was really uh, a horrendous season for Leverkusen all around and he was caught up in it. But going by the whole body of work Topak has put together over the last, I don't know, five, six seasons, I think I can confidently call him at least a top 10 centre-back in the Bundesliga. So getting someone like that for 12 million euros is, is certainly a deal uh, they would make uh, every day of the week. And, and so far, the returns have been good. Then you have uh, Zagadou, whom we already talked about a bit, so I'm just skipping him. Uh, I don't expect him to have too much of an impact right away, besides possibly having to deputize at left back. Uh, Dahoud, uh, as I said, has only played, I think, in two games. Uh, you you see the quality in his little touches and turns, and uh, he he certainly likes having the ball, which is uh, an important quality, especially should he have to play at the base of midfield. Also, uh, doesn't shy away from a tackle. Yeah, he's much more aggressive than people think. I think. Um, also, has been in in his Gladbach days. He's always been. Uh, happy to chime in with a tackle or two. He's almost a, a bit uh, dirty at times in, in quotation marks, not, you know, the uh, Gattuso level dirty, but certainly likes to stick a foot out here and there. So I think that's uh, something that doesn't necessarily have to be a bad thing as long as he doesn't get sent off for it all the time. Um, so I think Dahoud will be fine. He's, he's certainly going to be a starter uh Somewhere down the road, uh, obviously him having spent a lot of time in the summer at the under 21 euros, uh, means that he might not be fully fit off uh, at the, at the height of his game, you know, before late September, October. But I guess, uh, I guess that's something they knew would happen. Uh, and then Philip, as you mentioned, has only uh, played in one game, which he himself called a bad game. Uh, he had one good. Uh, shot, which <laughs> in my opinion was the only highlight of the game from Dortmund's perspective, which, you know, on the half turn a volley, I think, so that was pretty good. But, you know, uh, we, we can't really, uh, talk about his fit at Dortmund right now, going by just that those 19 minutes against Atalanta. My opinion on Philip uh, stands as called, uh, you know, in, when did we talk about transfers in July? I think, uh, I think he's going to be a good addition to the team. Whether that's right away, probably not for the same reasons as, uh, for the hood and the heightened competition at those spots. I think, uh, if, if Pulisic and Dembele aren't the starters on the wing, uh, early in the season, then something injury wise must happen. I think so. Uh, I think, uh, Philip has, has some time left to get uh, acclimated at the new surroundings. All right. I guess before we have to talk about the guys who left, and uh, there are still a couple of names we haven't mentioned since the last time we recorded, uh, I have to uh, first of all say that Matthias sadly won't join us again. Uh, I was waiting for him to return, but he said that, uh, yeah, a lightning basically has struck so hard that... Uh, 
they had a loss of power and with that his file. So he won't be returning in this part, I'm afraid. Um, but also before we talk about uh, yeah, players that left the club already and maybe still will leave, um, Terry, what's your two cents on Borussia Dortmund's striker situation and uh, how do you see the decision that Aubameyang stayed after all? Um, well, I... I don't. I wasn't massively surprised to learn that he had stayed. My, my feeling was that at the age that he was at, that perhaps he might have actually missed the boat for some of the uh, the bigger clubs that he would have inevitably, well, not inevitably, that he would have uh, gone to. Uh, I mean, there aren't too many places to go up from Borussia Dortmund really at, at this point, and the really, really big clubs are all sort of like in the market for other strikers. So. Uh, I wasn't uh, massively surprised to uh, to learn that he was going there. So I'm I'm obviously delighted. Um, I mean, I, I I might imagine that he'll continue to to score goals. I, I suppose there's still that possibility that a deal might be done, but I'm I'm not hearing anything from where we are as to whether or not there's anything. I don't know whether there's any word over where you are. You're all obviously a lot closer to it as to whether or not there's any thought that he might leave. No, there is no words whatsoever. It's, all the words is that he'll stay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's. I mean, that is that is good news. Uh, I mean, I know. Um, I'm really interested in seeing whether or not Alexander Isak comes through this season. I assume that he will. I know that he did play in. Was it the most recent game that he that he played yeah. in against Atalanta? Um, so, I mean, that's encouraging. But obviously, he's you know shockingly shockingly young still. So, um, I mean, beyond that, it's it's. It's tricky because there there are a tremendous amount of like out and out striker options there that that are apparent to me at least. So I am you know concerned about over reliance on a single player, um, and I, I'm I'm just worried that if he, of course if he was to get injured or if he was to you know, get into a fight with somebody and get a a long suspension, um, then it would be a um, you know it would be a significant loss for us. But I suppose that that is the just something that you just have to accept with someone who's just so prolific um, that if you lose them for whatever amount of time, it's going to be that that loss. So, you know, it, it, it does, I appreciate that he is a slightly more withdrawn role, but I mean, it does rely on on Philip to, you know, take advantage of the game time that he has and, you know, and if necessary, you know, play a little bit further forward if the opportunity you know, comes along where there's a certain necessity. I don't know whether or not, I'm sure you guys have got opinions on, on who would kind of fill in there in that, that, that central striking role or whether or not he'd play a central striking role in Obama Yang's absence, whether or not he'd go for a more of a front three. Yeah, well, that is the question because, um, yeah, I don't want to harp in on any players in preseason, especially not if they're very young, but uh, Alexander Isaac did not really look like he is already up for bigger things um i don't know maybe he was just not informed as as we already put out the disclaimer you know you can't just make too much out of preseason games and isak has looked sharp in, in training you know, from from time to time uh, last how has have you seen isak and uh, yeah if Aubameyang for some reason is injured in the long term uh, right now who do you see fill out the gap i personally would actually go with Schule. do you have a different response no i probably would go with schuler as well because as terry alluded to earlier schuler has done uh 
decently when called upon as the the main striker remember back to the Bremen game the the first game of 2017 uh he scored the opener and you know they won the game 2-1 and uh looking at how the season unfolded uh, they really needed those points so uh i i think uh Schöle can be trusted to do okay there i think Isaac has certainly not shown that he's ready for uh senior football but then again he's not even 18 so um just getting all those minutes in preseason certainly will help uh, his development even if minutes will still be hard to come by in in the in the next few weeks and months. Um, Philip is a bit of a, a wild card to me. Um, I've never really liked him when he had to play down the middle, but uh, he's certainly someone who has some of the qualities that Bosch likes in striker. So I wouldn't be shocked to see him, you know, stick uh, Philip there, maybe even in, as in, in a substitute situation for Aubameyang. I think that's something that, For example, the cup match would be a good opportunity for that. But I wanted to make one more point on Aubameyang staying. I, from, from what I've heard, at least, and I'm not claiming to have the, you know, the, the incredible insight. I'm not a three-eyed raven or anything, but from what I've been, <laughs> from what I've been told, uh, there was a deal with the Chinese club that they didn't get over the line. So it's not like, uh, It's not like nobody came calling and, and his stay was guaranteed by absence of offers. I, from, as I said, from what I've been told, uh, there, there, there was one Chinese club who was really, uh, was willing to pay a lot of money for Aubameyang and they didn't really get it over the line. Remember that the Chinese window closes, uh, I think it was Friday, 16 o'clock German time. So, uh, It's not the not a usual situation. Uh, so I, I think certainly, I mean, Bild are steadfast claiming uh, Aubameyang will leave in the January transfer window, which is the actually the main transfer window for the Chinese market. But I sincerely doubt that unless, you know, Dortmund are out of Europe entirely and the season is already in the bin anyway. But certainly going forward, I think the... Over to China rumors will have a revival at the very latest next year in April or May or so. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty sure you can bet on the fact that these rumors will emerge 100% sure about that. Um, yeah, I, I guess uh, be, before we, uh, I don't know if we actually want to talk about the Super Cup a little bit more or not. Um, Terry, What do you make of uh, Sven Bender joining his brother Lars Bender at Leverkusen? Um, well, I mean, he's a player that I've always been very fond of. Although, you know, I appreciate that that that, that you know he's perhaps a, a, a something of a peripheral figure. So, but it is disappointing to see you know such a player go. I I, I think I'll always love him for that goal line clearance last season against Bayern. Um, and, uh, I mean, I, 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 it's one of those signings in which you wish a player well rather than necessarily any kind of rancor. Uh, it's great that he's joining Lars and, you know, as, as other football clubs go, Borussia Mönchengladbach is, you know, not terrible. Um, so, you know, I, you know, it's, 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 I think it's a good move for him. He'll get plenty of game time and, um, 
you know, I, I, although it's it's yeah, it's, it's kind of sad, but uh, yeah, I, I, I'm sure he'll get plenty more game time, and, and I'm sure he'll prosper under it. But it's just uh, it's just always sad to see a a good friend leave, I suppose. Yeah, well said. Lars, your two cents on on Lars Benner leaving the club, uh, Sven Benner leaving the club. I was a bit surprised, uh, seeing as Bender is a very important figure in the locker room and, in my opinion, had made a successful transition from defensive midfielder to center back. Um, but then again, when you, as a club from a strategic perspective, when you bring in, uh, Toprak, who's, in my opinion, a better player and uh, Zagadou, a highly regarded talent at the position, uh, you know, you have, uh, at least one. I mean, we kind of expect Nevin Zupotic to still leave as well. You have at least one guy too much, uh, on, on your, on your team sheet, uh, for every game. So, uh, when, when a club comes around with a very pricey offer, I did not expect anybody to come close to 15 million for oft injured Sven Bender. So I think from, from the club perspective, it just made sense to, uh, grant his wish even though uh, as i said it's uh, difficult to let such an important locker room figure go especially with what happened uh, last season um and and from uh, bender's perspective i mean uh, it's pretty much a no brainer he gets not only to play with his brother but also with a decent team even though they had a horrendous season last year leverkusen is still a pretty good club as you know the fourth or fifth best clubs in Germany go um he gets to stick around in his uh, usual environment more or less I mean uh, if he wanted to he didn't even need to move because Dortmund and Leverkusen are pretty close um he gets to stay in the league and and you know I'm, I'm sure his family is uh quite all right with with this transfer instead of you know going to i don't know a, a middling premier league side uh having having to uproot his entire family that would be probably a different thing so i think bender also said that leverkusen was the only option he considered i don't know if he got any other serious offers because as i said not many clubs will have been interested in a player with uh, his extensive uh, injury history but i think for all parties involved it makes sense and at the end of the day from from a dortmund perspective i look at it as trading uh sven bender for Irma toprak and three million euros which you know is a trade i would do pretty much all the time so uh, it, it's sad but It's also all good. Yeah, imagine imagine if he'd gone to the Premier League. My God, that would have been just the worst. He'd have ended up at West Ham or something like that. It doesn't bear thinking about. <laughs> yeah, well, it's it, it was at least notable and and uh, yeah, really really shows a lot of what a character Sven Banner has been over the last years. That Michael Sorg actually looked a bit. Yeah, looked a bit close to, to tears when he had to talk about the transfer and Sock himself said that it was not a normal transfer for him. So, um, yeah, as Lars already said, his standing in the locker room and the entire club, uh, certainly very, uh, yeah, esteemed. And I, I would say he was always one of the, uh, yeah, 
more more grounded players, very intelligent young lads. So yeah, always very nice. So of course it's it's a loss in in that regard. But from a sporting perspective, I I think it's it's the best choice for for everyone. Um, Lars, was it the best choice for Mikel Merino to uh, leave the club for a loan deal uh, to Newcastle? I think it is. If it was only a loan deal, then I'd say, yeah, why not? But it's it's a semi loan or whatever you want to call it. It's basically yeah. I think it's he's, he's pretty much gone. Yeah, since there is a very small amount of games he needs to play to make it a permanent deal. Yeah. Um, so they basically, unless he uh, completely does his knee in uh, in one of the last remaining preseason games, because I think their season starts in like nine days or so. Um, I think uh, he, they, I think Dortmund have probably relinquished their rights uh, to the player, which I think is a mistake. Um, not only because of my unhealthy obsession with Don Miguel Merino, but also because I do think he's actually a talented player. So I, I would have, uh, if, if, if the decision had been up to me, I certainly would have looked to just loan him out maybe for two seasons. If, if that was his wish, uh, you know, to Newcastle, if need be, or I think with the season he played in Segunda Division, uh, last, uh, or the year before, actually, um, for Osasuna and and his usually pretty solid performances for the Spain uh, under twenty one team, he probably had a pretty decent market in Spain. So I think they would have easily found a, a loan partner in the Primera División. But the the way it is now, uh, I think we can. I I mean I I don't want to blame the club. It seems rather obvious that Merino didn't see his future here. So at the end of the day, uh, getting something like a total of ten million for uh, a marginal player uh, even a very talented one is is probably not not a worse deal but in my opinion uh, they should at least have given themselves a chance to uh, get the player back maybe two years down the road because I do think he's talented enough to play and play well for a team of Dortmund size. I think that's um, absolutely right. Um I didn't see much, well, very few of us, we didn't see much of, of him last season. Um, but I, I think that um, he's going to be uh, a success uh, at Newcastle under Benitez. And, and I think that he will lend himself very well to the Premier League. I think that they will, he will very quickly become a, a quite a popular and, and regarded as a canny signing that um, it, it is disappointing. I, obviously, we don't know why he felt that his future was no longer there, but 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 Lars is quite correct. He, you know, he obviously didn't feel his future was there, but but that is going to be a loss, and uh, um, I think that's going to be a considerable feather in the. I may be wrong, but I have a suspicion that that's going to be a big feather in the cap for Benitez. He'll that's a that is a canny signing. Yeah, I wonder if if Dortmund further down the road will regret. That's uh yeah, Marino got away, quote unquote. Um but yeah, I only assume that it must have been the players wish that he more or less leaves like like that because the uh chance as Lars already said that he is returning is, is very, very low. So yeah. I sadly don't see that happening and uh, yeah, I have to concur with you two guys because I also think there's a lot of potential in Marino and it's uh yeah. 
said that the circumstances apparently did not allow him for, yeah, to unfold that fully in, in Dortmund. Uh, I don't know if it's fully on, on him or more on the coaching staff or just the competition. Um, however, I, I still think that uh, Dortmund should have tried a little harder to, uh, yeah, have their hands on that potential if it ever comes to light. But uh, yeah, I don't know. Maybe they'll just buy him for 20 millions later. But I don't really see that happening. So um, yeah, on Saturday, there is this uh, really big game. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I'm somewhat actually excited just because it's football and the season's finally get. Yeah, it's it's getting started finally. So, um, Lars, uh, what should we expect of the Super Cup? Peter Bosch at least has said that he will put out, out the strongest possible eleven that uh, is available right now. Well, going by preseason, even even the strongest eleven doesn't uh, necessarily hold high expectations from from my end, at least. Um, I don't expect anything, so everything will be a positive surprise. Uh, I think uh, having uh, particularly uh, heard about Bayern's woos in our first part of uh, this episode, I think uh, Dortmund have a decent uh, shot at winning the game uh, just because if two bad teams, or not bad teams, but if two teams that aren't really in form meet, the uh, home field advantage is usually a relatively big thing. And certainly uh, it, it from what it sounded like, I think Dortmund's playing style with their aggression in, in counter pressing and, and all those things might be something Bayern aren't well equipped to handle at the moment. Certainly without Thiago, uh, the, the main man in midfield missing, I think Dortmund are going to apply a lot of pressure, especially on someone like Corentin Tolisso, who's uh, not uh, having, uh, who's not having uh, enough experience uh, at this point to, you know, do the same kind of job as Xabi Alonso did, as we talked about earlier. So I think uh, there are some vulnerabilities in, in Bayern's side that Dortmund might be able to... Just imagine Toulouse getting booked for tactical fouls. That would be a massive blow for Bayern. Yeah, the, their season would be over. Um, so I, I think there are some uh, vulnerabilities that uh, Dortmund might be able to exploit. But yeah, generally speaking... The Super Cup being a glorified friendly, I think Bosch is going to use it to make some observations still and not uh, going into the game just to win it. So whatever happens, happens. I think the the, the previous installments of the the, the Dortmund Bayern Super Cups at least have been surprisingly entertaining, in my opinion. I was in the stadium last year; it was a good game. Dortmund were the better side, even, but uh, Bayern were just more clinical. So if nothing else, it's a uh, it's a friendly well worth uh, watching as opposed to the, the the last few games of Dortmund, which by all accounts have been fairly terrible football games. Yeah. Terry, what, what are your expectations for that game? I don't have much to add. I'm afraid. I'm sorry. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's the kind of match uh, where it's great if you win because you get to lift a cup at the end. But if you lose, you kind of shrug your shoulders and say, oh, well, it's still preseason. You know, we'll see what happens next week uh, or the week after in this case. So I don't think that there's a great deal um, to, to, to add beyond that. I, I, it, yeah. Again, just to echo what Lars has just said, Tiago is a, massive miss for them and you know from a neutral if you are a neutral looking at this game then you're going to be disappointed that James is is not playing as well 
Um, but both teams are in, yeah, I mean, Bayern certainly are in, you know, if, if pre-season is a judge, they're in wretched form. So uh, I think that they will be, uh, you know, both teams might well be dialing it back a little bit. Uh, and I think we'll just see some slack defending and some goals and yeah, some entertaining stuff. But it, it, it'll it'll be good fun. But you know, real business starts, you know, well in a week's time against uh, in in the cup. But you know, really against Wolfsburg in in two weeks' time. So we're a little bit too far off the start of the proper season to to, to properly gauge it. But but yeah, good atmosphere and so yeah, a, a good game and a trophy at the end of it. So it should be fun. <laughs> yeah, there there will be some confetti. Um. I don't know how much more time you guys have, but uh, Terry, I, I think we will discuss this on the podcast one way or another yet, but uh, a, a quick few words because uh, it will be the first time uh, Germany uh, yeah, will in, imply or uh, ex execute, let's, let's put it this way, the uh, video assistant referee. So how do you think this will go on the Super Cup already? Uh, well, I have, I'm not in favour of the VAR, but I, I, I'd rather not go massively into that now because there are numerous reasons why I don't like the VAR and and I don't think that it's a, a good idea to implement it. Um, so I'm approaching it from a fairly cynical point of view. Um, the Confederations Cup, I think, having said that, that one of the one of the least one of the most flimsy reasons that I had for not liking the VAR was that I thought it wouldn't work. Uh, and in fact, uh, so far, it hasn't really worked as people have expected it to, if at all. Um, I, I think that the difficulty is, is that in the Confederations Cup, for example, we were watching it and they didn't appear to be backing up the decisions of the referee or properly supporting them. I would imagine that lessons will be learned going forward and that there'll be need to be some strength uh, in the VAR studios to make certain that those referees are getting the right support. So, um, I mean, I, 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 as I say, I, I, I don't like it, but uh, it's a happening thing and I will uh, look on with, uh, with a degree of interest. Yeah, I'm certainly curious uh, how, how uh, yeah, that will change the game in, in the Bundesliga. I'm very confident that uh, the DFL will do a much better job that, than uh, we saw at the Confederations Cup just because they put in way more preparation and uh, the referees actually all know each other, speak the same language. I think that already helps. So uh, it's yeah, it's I uh, if I, if I may, uh, Stefan, it's not like at the Confederations Cup that you know referees who aren't at a game uh, any given Saturday at uh, half past three uh, sit in the studio and and perform the VAR job there are as opposed to the Confederations Cup and that's the the big thing I think uh, the review system is centralized for the Bundesliga game so uh, there are trained people doing the the job and uh, it's 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 a, a much more intricate system than you know just having some bloke uh, who's not even speaking the same language as the main referee watching a scene twice or th uh, three times as it seemed to be the case in the Confederations Cup where it was all a bit half-assed in my opinion so I, th I th yeah it, 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 that is true I mean it, it it shouldn't have been introduced for the Confederations Cup 
Um, I think that given that they that, that the Bundesliga were due and and have started up the VAR, that it would have been simply wiser to have learnt from that experience because. Uh, for all the reasons that Lars points out, they would be, you know, they, they're, they're not doing a half-assed job. They're fully committed to it. And then lessons can be then taken into the next tournament. But I suppose they want it in for the World Cup. And so they felt it necessary to to give it a go in the Confederations Cup. But I wonder whether or not that was in, in time. Yeah, maybe they just wanted to have their own learnings since this is a dress rehearsal tournament rather than yes, anything else. absolutely. Yeah, uh, yeah I don't know. I just wanted to more or less mention it that uh, the Super Cup will have VAR and uh, there will be a penalty shootout if it's still a draw after 90 minutes. So with that in mind, uh, I guess we can yeah go over to predictions. Terry, you go first. Predictions? What, yeah. for the Super Cup? We always do predictions uh, on the Yellow World Cup and uh, never review them. Yeah, like, no, like, uh, I did kind of know that. Yeah, okay. Um, well, in that case, I'm going to go uh, 2-2 and Bayern to win on penalties. All right, then. Uh, Sven Ulreich to be the uh, Super Cup hero, then, I guess. <laughs> Lars? Uh, I'm <laughs> ill-prepared for the prediction <laughs> segment. Um, I, I really don't know. So I'm just going to say it's going to be a more fun game than anticipated because both teams aren't great. So uh, two one for Dortmund because of home field advantage and reasons. All right, um, I I would have said three two to Dortmund, but then I remember Dortmund have hardly created a lot of chances in their friendlies, and I'm not sure that will change now. So I'm uh, siding with a one one draw and Dortmund winning it on penalties. Whatever. Let's uh, <laughs> just get out of here, I guess. Um, so, Terry, where can people actually find you on the internet to listen to the uh, podcasts you otherwise entertain and uh, read your written work? Uh, well, I'm not publishing that much at the moment, writing-wise, because I'm doing a, a, an offline project, uh, which is taking up uh, an awful lot of my time. Um, I, I am on Twitter, um, but I mean, I mostly tweet stuff that your dad tweets. So it, it's my not dad doesn't interesting. tweet those. So. <laughs> or if your dad did um uh but i do uh i am a co panelist on a regular panelist on a weekly uh general football podcast called the sound of football uh, and that uh, can be found at sound of football on tw on twitter or if you just type sound of football into your search engine of choice you'll find me there and that starts back up for a new season next week yeah very good show give it a listen guys um yeah otherwise if you want to uh find food pictures of, uh, I guess, Asian and, and self-cooked food to follow Terry at Terry the Felon. Yeah, complaints about Southern Rail as well are, are also I don't know, I, I just assume well, what really. my dad would tweet now, so... <laughs> 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 there we go. Um, last but not least, where can people find you on the internet? Yeah, my Twitter feed is yourdafry, uh, free, not fry, um, <laughs> and it's at Lars Polman, and you know the, the written work at the moment exclusively, if you like, on yellowwallpot.com. Yeah, a page you should definitely check out, which is yeah a good reason to find the Yellow Wallpot on, uh, where you can also find our iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher feeds 
I guess if you want to contact the show, do that via the contact form on yellowwallpod.com or uh, yeah, use Twitter <laughs> at yellowwallpod. Uh, otherwise, I think yeah, Facebook is also still around. But uh, let's be honest, I'm not really checking in much there when it comes to messages. So please use the contact form. That's that's a safer bet, I guess. Um, otherwise, you can get a hold of me at Stefan Butzko on Twitter. You can find my written work. Mostly on ESPN, maybe at, at some point also on the Yellow Wall Pods. Although I'm mostly occupied editing the show, so there's that. But uh, with the season getting back, I guess there will be more written work on the site. So uh, give it a, yeah, a click every once in a while. Uh, if not, you can support our show and uh, relieve Terry from his uh, great funding uh, at patreon.com slash wall where you can uh, yeah chip in with a dollar or two and help <laughs> us out a lot and I don't know buy help us buy curry wars or whatever <laughs> no actually it's for new hardware and software anyway before I ramble on forever uh, it's it's been a blast guys thanks again and I guess we will be back after the super cup if there are any talking points and uh, preview the uh, yeah match against the sixth tier side whose name I haven't don't have even in front of me. FC Rila singen Aalen playing in, in Freiburg's whatever the stadium is called right now stadium. Last shape saving the show as always and with that goodbye until next week. <laughs>